The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. A Santa rally, after all, a stock snap, a two-day losing streak, but futures are a bit under pressure right now. Investors, for the most part, just shrugging off. The latest Federal Reserve meeting minutes, officials at the central bank committed to keeping rates higher for longer. And big tech layoffs gaining steam as Amazon says its latest plan to slash headcount was not aggressive enough. The tech giant now targeting some 18,000 workers in the latest round of cuts and drama in D.C. once again. As Kevin McCarthy fails six times to become the next Speaker of the House, uh, House Republicans remain at a stalemate with more votes on deck today. And the Consumer Electronics Show kicks off in Las Vegas today. We get a preview of the latest and greatest in everything from cars to gadgets. It is Thursday, January 5th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And good morning. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. Thanks for waking up with us. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures, which are, you know, kind of slightly under pressure after a day yesterday where we saw all the major averages snap two straight sessions of losses. Right now, we're seeing the Dow down very slightly. The S&P, pretty much the same story. All right, checking the bond market, the benchmark 10-year yield. It is currently right now at 3.711, a dip slightly, like 8, 9, maybe 10 basis points after the Federal Reserve meetings were released, uh, minutes were released yesterday. We also want to get a check on the energy sector. Crude working a rebound after opening the new year with losses. Right now, up about 2.5%, same for Brent crude. But however, WTI about five bucks a barrel lower than it started the week and the new year. Also, we've got to take a look at crypto. The price of Bitcoin right now, still below that 17,000 market, 16,800. Down fractionally when you're talking about the Bitcoins, both Bitcoin and Ether, however, they have you know, risen just very slightly in the new year. All right, let's get a check on the overnight action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Arabile Gumedi is standing by in our London newsroom with much more. Good morning, Arabile. Yeah, good morning, Frank. So certainly the market across Asia was a positive one, doing away then and sort of uh, batting away the fears coming through from that hawkish stance out of the Fed minutes yesterday where we saw them really say that they're going to look towards that fight for inflation and continue their fight against it. So a general trend across the Asian market was a sense of positivity. This, however, wasn't the stance that followed through onto Europe. It was a pretty mixed picture if we take a look at that. And only the FTSE 100, mainly the counter going higher with the IBEX 35 in Spain also following through. That seemed to have gone a, lo- a lot higher too. The focus then on that AD- uh, ADP number uh, out of the U.S. when it comes to the employment numbers will be quite significant and important too. We also have Italian inflation numbers uh, coming to the four plus the jobs numbers out of the U.S. tomorrow as well. That will be a keen focus for the market to kind of determine a sense of where things uh, may go. Inflationary pressures as well, of course, as recessionary fears. But Moving the FTSE 100 has been the UK uh, fashion retailer uh, 
Next, which has said that it will see its profits perhaps gained by around 20 million pounds uh, in the year to January 2023. So that's a positive tilt for them, really doing a lot better than they expected for the months uh, towards the end of last year. So a bit of a mixed picture across the board today. It does give a sense of negativity, as you're even seeing out in that U.S. market. Frank? Erbile, thank you very much. All right, let's get to one of this morning's top stories and more job cuts in big tech. Our Pippa Stevens joins us now with much more on this story. Good morning, Pippa. Good morning, Frank. And that's right. More tech job cuts. Amazon is raising the number of employees it plans to let go to, quote, just over 18,000, according to CEO Andy Jassy. In a blog post from the company, the layoffs will be concentrated in the company's e-commerce business, human resources and technology. This new 18,000 figure is substantially higher than initial estimates given by Amazon late last year. At that time, the Wall Street Journal and others reported Amazon was targeting about 10,000 layoffs, some of which have already taken place. Amazon's moves mirror belt tightening by other big tech companies in recent months, including Meta Platforms and Snap. The announcement also comes after Salesforce yesterday said it's planning to cut 10 percent of its 80,000 person workforce. Shares ended higher on the day. And Frank, in this move, Amazon admits it added workers too quickly to warehouses during the pandemic as consumer shopping trends shifted. Amazon employed 1.54 million people at the end of the third quarter. And Frank, you wonder what company is going to announce layoffs next. Yeah, you know, it seems to be a big trend. A very similar story that we heard from Mark Benioff in his letter to employees yesterday. He basically just admitted he just hired too many people too quickly. And unfortunately, a lot of people are losing their jobs right now. Best wishes to all of them. Pippa Stevens, we're going to see you later on in the show. Thank you. All right, turning our attention to that developing story in Washington, D.C., and Republican Congressman Kevin McCarthy will try and secure enough votes to become Speaker of the House for a third straight day. Lawmakers will reconvene at noon today after hardline Republicans. They just refused to back McCarthy in the fourth, the fifth and the sixth rounds of voting to elect a Speaker of the House yesterday. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now with the very latest in all this D.C. drama. Good morning, Bree. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, maybe seven will be the lucky number for Kevin McCarthy today. But NBC News has learned that Kevin McCarthy has put a new offer on the table for those conservative holdouts. It includes allowing any one member of the House to call for a vote to remove speaker at any time. No person having received day two of the new Congress resembling day one. A speaker has not been elected. A speaker has not been elected. Republican Kevin McCarthy failing to secure the House Speaker position for the sixth time. We just keep talking. That's all. We talk until we get this done. McCarthy now putting new offers on the negotiating table, such as placing Freedom Caucus members on key committees. Critics doubt his concessions are enough to win over the 20 right-wing Republicans standing firmly against him. He's a desperate guy whose vote share is dropping with every subsequent vote, and I'm ready to vote all night, all week, all month, and never for that person. Even former President Trump's calls for GOP members to support McCarthy have fallen on deaf ears. If we continue down this path, I think it hurts the Republican Party. Without a speaker in place, work on Capitol Hill is at a standstill. New members can't be sworn in and committees can't be formed. My point is we have work to do that we can't do right now. The speaker standoff shows little sign of ending. We have not heard one thing from either Kevin McCarthy or his enemies in the GOP 
about what they will do to make the lives of Americans better. President Biden is weighing in on the bitter battle, calling it an embarrassment, tarnishing the country's image. This is not a good look. It's not a good thing. It's the United States of America, and I hope they get their act together. House members will cast more votes for speaker today. Many wonder, will the third day be the charm? And voting for House Speaker continues at noon Eastern time today. Frank? So, Bree, obviously this is about a lot of political jockeying between Republicans, but does this raise any real-world issues for all of us as citizens to not have a Speaker of the House in place? Yeah, there are several red flags when it comes to this, one being national security implications. Even uh, some Republicans have urged their colleagues to move forward and end this stalemate, partly because they want to move forward with national security briefings, uh, not just uh, for here, but for abroad. Yeah, I think a lot of us are looking to see the last time it took this long. It looks like about 100 years ago is the last time it took this long. History in the making. Bree Jackson down in D.C., thank you very much. All right, when we come back, much more on Amazon's layoff plans and the uncertain outlook for big tech in 2023, plus investment advice from one of CNBC's top 100 financial advisors. She's going to lay out her four investment principles and one actionable idea for your portfolio. And later on in the show, Chinese tech in the driver's seat as investors try to look past pretty choppy year for that region. A look at what's on deck and what is investable in the year ahead. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Checking U.S. stock futures right now in the red, just fractionally lower for the S&P, the Dow Jones, and the NASDAQ right now. All right, this after a mostly higher close for Wall Street yesterday that saw investors lock in that so-called Santa Claus rally. Also, just looking past the latest Federal Reserve meeting minutes, showing the bank will remain aggressive in its policies to tame inflation. Joining me now is Kalei Kadina Pua, CEO of Kadina and & Company and a member of CNBC's Top 100 Financial Advisors for 2022. Kalei, great to have you here. And aloha from Hawaii. Aloha. Great to be here. All right. We got to dig in on this. Obviously, we're seeing stock futures just fractionally lower today. The past two days, they've been higher in the pre-market and then lower. It's been kind of a roller coaster ride, honestly, for the first part of the year. What are you seeing in this early market action for 2023? And how are you telling your clients to balance their portfolios? So what we're seeing is just a lot of Fed watching. The release of the Fed minutes yesterday we saw the markets up and we actually saw the markets sell off at the release of the minutes and then rallied toward the end of the session. Um, I think that's contributing to today's futures market opening down. Um, 
I, I believe it's just a lot of concern about where inflation is going to be and how tight and how hawkish the Federal Reserve is going to continue to be. I, I, I believe in the release of the minutes, they gave away some in our opinion, they gave away some really key indicators about their strategy for the rest of the year, hinting at needing to raise rates above 5%. Um, so I think the market was a little bit early at thinking that the Fed was going to pause earlier than later. And, and there's a little bit of, of scare in the market at this point in time and additional volatility because of that. Yeah, investors definitely, you know, at least a little bit spooked. Um, in the Fed minutes, we saw a commitment to higher rates for, quote unquote, some time. Does that change your strategy when it comes to bonds and equities? You know, we've been in that camp. We, we've thought that the market was a little bit premature in, in pricing, uh, you know, the, the Fed slowing down. Uh, we do believe that there's a couple of factors that are at play right now. Uh, one is certainly the excess, excess reserves that at one time peaked at $5 trillion. Um, the second is is how how the price of oil affects inflation. And so the Biden administration came out and used our nation's reserves to try to help cut some of the costs and, and provide some relief to, to consumers. Um, but now they're in the, in the position where they're going to have to re, re, reposition themselves and, and, and purchase. And so I think there's going to be a, a net increase in inflation based on energy costs as well. Um, the, the real key right now, though, is that Employment and wage um, prices are still sticky and high, and, and the Fed actually spoke about that. And as long as wage remains higher than, than where the rates are, I think the Fed will continue to tighten. All right. So you mentioned inflation. We've seen oil prices actually drop during the new year. We've also seen the dollar pressure ease a bit since the start of the fourth quarter. The dollar pressure has eased about six, seven percent since then. So I know you're a big fan of companies that are actually benefiting from a weaker dollar in the reopening of China. With the news we're getting out of China with rising COVID cases, um, can you give us a sense of what sectors you're bullish on and what kind of companies that you would sell your clients to invest in? So the economic data tells us that the, the areas that their opportunities right now uh, are, are actually in the service area uh, as well as consumer staples. So we, we like the opening idea. You know, the global market is opening a little bit more. We also like to see some somewhat the pullback in, in the dollar um, after a really, really strong dollar for quite some time now. Uh, and so we think there's some opportunities, relative values compared to some of the domestic companies um, in, in the multinational area, um, primarily in staples, um, additionally in some commodities. Um, very select, though, very select commodities because we, we are forecasting slowdown. We're not forecasting recession at this point in time. So you're saying commodities tied to, the, to electric vehicles. Can you give us an example of one of those commodities? Because it's a wide range of commodities that go into those vehicles. We're bullish on copper, have been for a long time. And rather than rather than figure out the underlying technology of the, the EVs, electric vehicles, we're looking at just the underlying components that are required to create these charging stations. And copper is a significant player in that. And so we're, we've been bullish on copper for quite some time. Well, Kalei, thanks for being here. Aloha. I know that's hello and goodbye at the same time. Thanks for joining us from basically midnight out there in Hawaii. Thanks again. <laughs> All right. Thank as you so much for having us. It's an honor. Great to see you. Good and to happy see you New too. Year. Happy New Year. As we head to break, watching shares of Apple and China-based Luxshare Precision. The Financial Times reporting Apple's expected to sign a new contract with the company to produce its most high-end iPhone models. If this is confirmed, the move would snap Foxconn's majority hold on iPhone production in China. Foxconn shares down sharply in the overnight trade. Something to watch. Wax back right after this. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The Chinese markets are off to the races in the new year. Check out the Hong the Hong Kong, the Hang Seng is up more than 6% this week, led by big gains in Chinese tech stocks. The biggest among those gainers, Alibaba, the e-commerce giant, rising another 3% today after jumping nearly 9% yesterday in Hong Kong. Regulators recently approving a new round of fundraising by a unit of Ant Group, the fintech and payment company owned by Alibaba. That could signal the government's wide-ranging crackdown on tech and other sectors. It may be nearing an end. Let's talk more about whether this can make China more investable with Brendan Ahern, CIO at CraneShares, which offers several China-focused ETFs, most notably the K-Web, which tracks Internet stocks. Good morning, Brendan. Hey, good morning, Frank. All right, Brendan. So we're looking at the K-Web right now. It's one of the stocks, uh, the ETFs, actually, we, we really follow here at CNBC to look at the Chinese Internet complex. This week, up about 14 percent, basically to start the new year. Some of that obviously on some reopening hopes in China, but with the COVID news, that might be in question. The other on hopes, again, that the crackdown on tech, including gaming and educational stocks, may be nearing an end. I think you have a lot of insight on the region. What's the reality on both of those hopes? It's certainly on COVID, Frank. You're seeing a significant pivot in policy following the uh, National Party Congress at the end of October, where you really saw the zero COVID policy cast aside. Something that was exacerbated by some of the protests we've seen in China. So China is certainly going through a reopening process uh, that unfortunately means COVID is running wild throughout China. Uh, it is a big country geographically. So different cities are in different stages of, in terms of uh, peaks. You know, there's actually talk about Guangzhou and Beijing, two very significant, important cities, both politically and economically, being post-COVID peak, where another important city like Shanghai is still in the thick of things. So, so one on COVID, you've seen a very dramatic change in policy and you're seeing the reopening of China uh, certainly being a big, big play. And the, con- the domestic consumption plays, the Internet e-commerce plays are really a great way to play that. And that's why you're seeing this really strong reaction in K-Weather. All right. So for the last couple of years, we've had some fears of these Chinese stocks possibly being delisted. Um, U.S. regulators and Chinese regulators kind of reached a deal back in August. Where do we stand with all that? Is that even a danger anymore as we go forward in 2023? Yeah, and certainly, Frank, the, the danger of ADR delisting really kept many professional investors out of these stocks that if you're afraid a stock might go de- might be delisted, you're not going to buy it, right? You're going to avoid it by all means. So, so a lot of professional investors have been out of the China ADR space for almost two years. And in December, we had the PCOB, the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board, after a lot of hard work on their part in Hong Kong, meeting with the big four auditors, they said that the, they have cleared this first step. We'll have another round in March, but it's a very, very significant 
um, impediment removed on the ADR delisting. A great step forward, uh, really, by the hard work of both U.S. as well as Chinese regulators. All right, let's talk about that $1.5 billion capital raised by the Ant Group. How big of a deal is this, not only for these Chinese stocks, but for U.S. investors that they look at these Chinese stocks and look at the region and really focus on that crackdown by state regulators? You know, 100% frank, you know, the, the regulatory crackdown we saw on Internet names back in 2021 uh, was also another significant factor that weighed on investor sentiment. We just simply didn't know what was the next shoe to, to drop. Now, we've seen a huge backing away on this sort of regulatory front. And I think the Ant Group being allowed to raise assets really shows that this is in the rearview mirror. It's behind us. I think the rally we saw uh, showed the skepticism from many foreign investors who maybe don't track China quite as much as Crane shares. But I think it is a very significant signal that the Chinese Internet regulation is likely over. I mean, that doesn't mean individual companies can't get in trouble, no different than any company globally with their own regulators. But I think it's another big sign that the regulatory impediment is removed. And I think, again, you have a lot of investors have they're skeptical about China. They're staying on the sidelines. And that's why the pain trade in K-Web is higher, Frank. All right, we're talking a lot about the K-Web that tracks Chinese Internet stocks, but you have other ETFs that, that track other parts of the Chinese economy. Let's talk Chinese real estate stocks. We saw a surge late last year. We've seen some volatility when it comes to those. How investable are those right now? So the individual the, on the, the distressed property sector is receiving a huge amount of attention from Chinese regulators, that they're worried about that first domino, that a distressed developer going bankrupt could lead to a financial crisis. So they're not going to allow that to happen. The risk for equity investors in the real estate stocks is as part of bolstering their balances, they're allowing these companies to issue stock. Now, what we like is actually the bonds that that the Asia high yield bond market, which is actually trades in U.S. dollars, uh, has really been left for dead because of the very significant amount of Chinese real estate developers. Now, the key is they're not going to allow these developers to default, which means we think there's a lot of value in the bonds. We actually have KHYB is a Asia high yield bond. It's yielding almost 10 percent. And we think you're going to get potentially not just that uh, really nice yield. You potentially have some capital appreciation as these bonds get reweighted. At the same time, we are worried about the stocks because of dilution, equity issuance to bolster the balance sheet, which actually favors the bonds over the stocks. All right. A lot to watch when it comes to these Chinese stocks. Again, the KWEB finished up. Almost 9% yesterday, but down about a percent and a half in the pre-market. Brendan Ahern, thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you, thank you Frank. Happy New Year's. All right, let's get a check on this morning's other headlines. NBC's Francis Rivera is in New York with the very latest. Haven't seen you, Francis. Happy New Year. I know. Happy New Year, Frank. Good morning to you. We start with the funeral mass for Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI. It's underway at the Vatican this morning. The 95-year-old died on New Year's Eve after years of declining health. Presiding over his mass this morning, Pope Francis, who succeeded him in 2013. Just days after California was drenched by an atmospheric river, another one is bearing down on the state, bringing heavy rain, snow and flooding. This storm could potentially be more powerful than the last as a bomb cyclone threatens the West. 33 million are under flood and flash flood watches and 39 million are facing wind alerts. Governor Gavin Newsom declared a state of emergency and some regions in the northern part of the state are under evacuation orders. 
The Buffalo Bills say DeMar Hamlin has shown, quote, signs of improvement, but he remains in critical condition. The team added that Hamlin is expected to stay in intensive care as he continues to be treated. Hamlin went in a cardiac arrest and had his heartbeat restored on the field Monday night. The NFL has not decided whether to reschedule that game as the Bengals and Bills resume practice Wednesday. Tributes for Hamlin continue to grow across the football world. Cincinnati's Paycor Stadium was lit blue again overnight and fans in both Cincinnati and Buffalo gathered for vigils, but hearts still heavy across the board, across the NFL and teams. Whether you're an NFL football fan or not, your heart just goes out to him and his loved ones. Frank, we send it back to you after these headlines. Yeah, certainly prayers to him and his family. He's a University of Pittsburgh alumnus, as I am. Um, the whole Pitt Nation rooting for his speedy and full recovery. Francis, thank you so much. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, Amazon's cost-cutting measures kick into high gear, confirming reports it plans to cut as many as 18,000 employees. A move that some, like our own Jim Cramer, say could likely be a tailwind for a stock that's lost nearly 50% of its value in the past year. A year ago, during the tail end of the pandemic, Amazon had 1.1 million employees in the U.S. That's about as many as we have in the armed forces. How many of these people does it need now? The same amount? Do you think that Amazon needs as many workers as it did when we were hunkering all down, waiting for our boxes, waiting on our Amazon deliveries? It's not just retail Amazon, for heaven's sake, that's undersold. It's web service business is also slowing, according to some analysts. So again, if there are too many people, they need to let some people go. Even if their sales stay the same, the earnings can't still grow as long as they find ways to cut costs. And that would be enough to make this market happy, and their stocks would fly. Stock shaking off the Fed's continued commitment to raising rates, snapping their two-day losing streak, but the markets may face more pressure at the open. Big Tech's barrage of job cuts gaining momentum, with Amazon announcing it plans to slash 18,000 jobs amid growing concerns around the economy. And will the seventh time be the charm? Kevin McCarthy looking to lock in critical votes to end the Speaker of the House standoff that has left that chamber in limbo. It is Thursday, January the 5th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. It's right around 5.30 a.m. here on the East Coast. Let's get a check on how this trading day is shaping up right now. Futures right now, basically flat. They've been kind of up and down, fractionally lower this morning. We also want to get a check on the energy sector, looking at crude working to rebound after opening up the new year with losses. WTI right now at about 74.5 a barrel. Open up the week at about 80 bucks a barrel. All right, time now for a few big money movers and what we're calling the tangible tech rally. Shares of Logitech, the keyboard, headset, and tech device maker, they've surged more than 30% since the start of Q4 last year. This tangible tech has gained momentum going into the new year and includes Dow component Cisco rising 19% during the same time frame. Their rival Juniper up more than 20%. GN Nord, the maker of the Jabra headset, surging more than 30% compared to mega cap tech and high growth names in the triple Qs and the WCLD ETF. You see both of them are down during that time period. The mega macro trend of hybrid work is part of the reason for the surge in these office tech makers. For the networking and router and systems names like Cisco, the reality of slowing growth and the shift to cloud and the fact that the majority of tech infrastructure is on-premise and spending for quote-unquote on-prem still remains robust and higher than cloud spending estimates, and estimates have that continuing into the new year. Companies that can provide both, think SAP, IBM, and Oracle, that's jumped 38% since the start of Q4, have been the biggest beneficiaries of this inflection point, 
where tech spending is slowing down as IT decision makers are delaying digital transformation projects due to some recession concerns. Many growth stocks surged during the pandemic as that digital transformation has accelerated. But now as investors focus on stable cash flow, many of these boring tech names are looking increasingly attractive. Something to continue to watch. All right, turning our attention now to that developing story down in Washington, D.C. Republican Congressman Kevin McCarthy set to try to secure enough votes to become Speaker of the House for a third straight day. Lawmakers will reconvene at noon today after hardline Republicans refused to back McCarthy in the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth rounds of voting to elect a Speaker of the House yesterday. And now McCarthy is proposing more key concessions to get some or all of the roughly 20 Republicans refusing to back his bid back on board with him. For much more on this, let's bring in Brian Gardner, chief Washington policy strategist at Stiefel. He's also the co-host of the Potomac, Potomac Perspective Podcast. I love that name, Brian. It's a, that alliteration is great, but we got to talk about something serious right now. Um, Kevin McCarthy trying to become Speaker of the House. Obviously, it's a lot of political jockey and the Democrats are having some fun with it. It's some talk for all the talk shows that follow politics. But does it have some real world consequences for all of us who are citizens and also for Wall Street? Yes. I, good morning, Frank. So, yeah, I think down the line uh, in the third quarter, um, what Congress is sending clear signals that we're in for a bumpy ride. So two things are going to have to happen in the third quarter, uh, second part of the year. Uh, one is that the debt ceiling is going to have to be raised. And the other is that Congress is going to have to approve next year's uh, fiscal spending plans. Um, and so we are looking at a kind of repeat of 2011, uh, a standoff over the debt ceiling. I think Republicans are clearly signaling through the, the chaos that's ongoing in the House right now um, that that's going to be a very tough vote. And there's still a lot of raw feelings about how the omnibus bill that passed a couple of weeks ago was handled. And so um, getting the spending bills across the line by September 30th, when the fiscal year ends, uh, is unclear. So we have kind of a double whammy coming up in the latter part of the year, a standoff over the debt ceiling and the potential for a government shutdown. All right. Two very serious issues there. Let's get back to this race for Speaker of the House. So uh, Hakeem Jeffries got the most votes on the first go round. He's not going to be the Speaker of the House. We all know that. But right. if McCarthy decides to withdraw, what are the other who are who are the other alternatives? And what does that mean about the future of the Congress in this next session? It's a great question. I don't think anybody knows. I, I, I suspect the next nominee from Republicans would be the, the majority leader elect, Steve Scalise from Louisiana. Um, I don't think it's a guarantee that Republicans would uh, support him uh, for a couple of reasons. One is I, I think a couple of the holdouts uh, against McCarthy could also hold out against Scalise. And I think there are, is a group of McCarthy supporters that are so frustrated by the process and the holdouts that they may withhold their votes from Scalise for the time being. And then you move on to somebody like a Jim Jordan, who I don't think can can get enough votes from moderate Republicans. Um, we could go down beyond those two names to a couple others, maybe the incoming chairman of the House uh, Financial Services Committee, Patrick McHenry from North Carolina. So um, uh, if it gets beyond McCarthy, uh, I think it gets very unpredictable, uh, as, as the whole process has kind of been unpredictable. Um, but there's no clear front runner after McCarthy. 
Yeah, it obviously creates an issue when you need a leader of the Congress also for succession to the presidency, other issues yeah. like that. So I used to be a big House of Cards fan. I've seen all that drama on the show. So I'm going to lay out something that might be House of Cards fantasy. Is there any possibility for a bipartisan speaker of the House, some type of compromise person? No, uh, you know, <laughs> that was quick. You no. Know, yeah. I mean, it, you know, this is this is Hollywood stuff, right? This is Hollywood and dorm room debate stuff. Uh, uh, you know, I, I probably if I was back in college or law school, I'd be sitting around with my classmates kind of talking about this uh, probably over a beer or two. Um, it doesn't work that way. It did work in Pennsylvania. I will acknowledge that the Pennsylvania legislature uh, came up with a compromise uh, candidate. But I, I think the two parties are just so far apart. It's tough to f see realistically um, how you get to 218 votes cobbled together from both sides. There just aren't enough moderates in the Congress from either party to come up with, you know, the, the fantasy uh, compromise, bipartisan compromise candidate. All right, let's forget about it. It's a little bit too early for a few beers, Brian. Um, before we let you go, right now the markets are just kind of shaking off all this political drama down in D.C. with the Speaker of the House. Is there a point where the markets start to react to this uncertainty? I, I think over the summer, as the as the debt ceiling debate starts to clarify, um, if you go back to 2011, the, the last I think it's the best comp for what we're about to go through. 2011 market had a, a relatively you know good start to the year. Um, it wasn't really till July that investors started paying attention to the upcoming uh, cliff of the of the uh, debt ceiling. Um, we don't have an exact date yet for that. We don't know. You know, it's a cash flow issue. It's not a date certain. But uh, the Bipartisan Policy Center and others uh, who, who try to track this, they have the X date, the date at which Treasury will exhaust what they call ex extraordinary measures to stay under the debt ceiling. Um, that's probably going to be in the third quarter. So um, I, I, I think it's the summer. So, maybe, you know, maybe we're going to get to, you know, sell in May and go away. And, and that's going to be good advice for investors as you go into what could be a, a potentially rocky summer. All right. Certainly something to watch. Brian Gardner of Stiefel and the Potomac Perspective Podcast. I got it out this time, Brian. There Great to see you as always. <laughs> Thank you, Frank. All right. Turning our attention to another top story this morning and watching shares of Amazon, the company raising the number of employees it plans to fire to, quote, just over 18,000, according to CEO Andy Jassy. The job cuts focused on its e-commerce business, human resources and technology. This new 18,000 figure is substantially higher than initial estimates given by, by Amazon late last year, some of which topped off at just about 10,000. And Amazon's cost cutting measures are not a one off just yesterday. Salesforce said it plans to cut 10% of its 80,000-person workforce. Meta, Snap, and many more also out with similar announcements over the past year. Joining me now is Richard Kramer, a REIT research founder and senior analyst. Uh, excuse me, Richard. Arite. Um, great Arite. to have you here. Yep. Thank you. All right. So first, uh, give us a sense of what you think about these Amazon job cuts. Our, our Jim Kramer believes it could be a big tailwind for this stock. But in general, what is this signal for the broader tech sector? So... I wouldn't look at these job cuts as anything more than a rewind back to where these companies were around the middle of last year. Um, if you want to take an example of Salesforce, if you wanted to take them back to the job level, the, the staff levels that they had in 2020 uh, before the pandemic, uh, you'd have to take another 15 or 20 percent out of the workforce. So I think we're really uh, just seeing the first round of cuts that typically come in threes. 
the first cut is to look at everything that's not essential and, and, and shed that. Then you look at productivity and what you can do to improve. And again, uh, I think the Amazon announcement highlighted that they were cutting some of their internal recruiting. And then I think the third uh, round of job cuts that we have are way away from now, and certainly the big tech is not going to be facing these sort of uh, uh, existential questions, is when the wolf's at the door, you really need to survive, and you're cutting absolutely everything that's, that's non-essential. All right, I know you published a new piece this morning uh, calling for an activist to get involved with Spotify. They've, their staff's increased 50 percent since uh, 2020. They've also done about a mm-hmm. billion dollars of acquisitions. So I want to ask you, when it comes to Spotify and maybe even Salesforce, they've had some activist pressure as well from Starboard Value. Sure. How big of a factor are activist investors when it comes to these tech layoffs? Well, I think, uh, you know, I don't want to oversell what activists can add to the, the fundamental operational uh, side of companies because they're obviously coming in from a financial perspective solely uh, and, and aren't going to be the ones who are going to be doing the coding or or the marketing plans or what have you. But I think that there is a clear need for discipline in many of these companies that a year or 18 months ago were looking at everything going up and to the right into the market. Um, money was effectively free and they were being rewarded for extending their business into every other area that might uh, widen their total addressable market. And now I think uh, in, a, in a new environment with a consumer recession, uh, the, a real cost of money, uh, they have to look at all those new plans and say, well, you know, which of those are really going to pan out and which do we need to cut bait and, and sharpen our capital allocation? And you know, again, it, this should be something that every large institutional asset manager is also discussing with companies. Are you going to uh, do a better job of preserving capital and generating cash versus chasing the next uh, idea that many of your competitors are also chasing as well? So, Richard, one last question. You also wrote about zombie equities. These are stocks yeah. that are 80 to 90 percent off their high. Can you give us an example of what you mean by a zombie equity and the, the traits that they all have in common? Well, look, there were, you know, the, the, the sort of sycophant and sonographer analysts who all were congratulating companies on great quarters and, and having buys on everything in the market. And they're, them and the banks that brought literally dozens and dozens of, of e-commerce and, and digital services and consumer uh, uh, internet IPOs to the market in 20 and 21, those stocks all fell 70, 80, 90 percent last year. Now, many of those companies are running out of cash. Their R&D levels are de minimis, uh, and they just aren't, aren't going to survive. And we saw this in, in 2000 through 2003 when we founded Arate. We saw this in 2008. We saw this in a mid-cycle correction uh, that you had in 2018. And you really need to flush out all of these uh, sort of leftover companies uh, in the market that whether it's a, a lift where it, it doesn't generate cash and, and but said it's going to have 700 million of free cash flow in 2024 okay. or an ASOS or gotcha. a Roku, all of these companies that simply aren't delivering what they said they would and their stocks have been crushed. Well, they need to find a new path out or raise the white flag. All right. Roku down 78 percent over the last year. Richard Kramer, we appreciate the insight. Thanks for being here. Thanks. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the world's biggest tech show set to kick off amid growing recession worries, whether a potential economic pullback could dampen demand for some of the year's hottest new gadgets. 
Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up. All right, welcome back. The biggest tech show of the year, CES, begins today in Las Vegas with the world's biggest brands and most influential innovators. They gather to launch new products, give access to major startups, and discuss the state of the industry. For more on this year's convention, let's bring in Matt Binder, tech reporter at Mashable. He's currently in Las Vegas for the show. And that's how you sell it back in the office. You're just there for the show, Matt. <laughs> um, right, on, a serious, right. on a serious note, thanks for being here. Kind of give us a sense of the flavor. What are you seeing? What are the most exciting things you're seeing? Is it personal electronics? Is it the EVs? Give us a sense. Well, I think the trending tech is sort of vying for that. A lot of uh, metaverse-based companies, a lot of uh, companies with VR headsets, um, wearable tech is a big thing. The other night, uh, everyone was trying out these electric rollerblades. Um, but I think the products that are sort of going to connect with consumers, you know, after all, this is the consumer electronic show, um, are these sort of basic sort of computer accessories. Um, the, 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 this, this gaming mouse I saw, which had like a joystick for your thumb on the side, $40, very affordable. Another device I saw that I feel like people will connect with was a device that basically turned your iPad or iPhone into an external monitor for your camera. So you had a nice big visual for when you're you know, shooting video and you have to look at the mm-hmm. little LCD screen on like your DSLR camera. Like these are the sort of things I think um, are not going to get the sort of uh, attention here at the show. But I think this is the sort of, those are the sort of things that uh, you're going to see people sort of purchase and actually have in their homes as opposed to like, you know, the big uh, VR headsets and such. So right now, CES is coming, I guess, under the shadow of an economic slowdown potentially coming in 2023. It's also following a chip shortage. I got to be honest, I haven't heard any like mind blowing things coming out. We've heard about VR before, um, not seeing like a foldable iPad or anything like that. Have any of those other issues, the possible recession, the chip shortage impacted this year's CES? I mean, if it did, they certainly aren't letting on to it here. Um, I mean, uh, also, you have to remember that a lot of this like uh, sort of mind blowing tech that you would see here is usually prototypes, things that are coming down the line uh, years away from actually going into production for consumers or maybe never even get to that stage at all. For example, uh, probably the big story coming out of the show today was uh, Sony announcing their EV car that comes out of their partnership with Honda. It's called the Afila. And even that is not going to sort of uh, come out till 2026 with pre-orders in 2025. So any sort of uh, immediate ramifications due to uh, consumers not, you know, not having the money or, uh, you know, not looking to spend their money, uh, that's sort of way down the line and not being sort of coming into uh, fruition here right now. Matt Bender, thanks for being here. Enjoy Las Vegas. I know it's not going to be all work. (laughs) Thanks for having me. CNBC is going to be live from CES in Vegas as well with a stellar lineup of guests, including the CEOs of AMD, Qualcomm and Roku. Live coverage kicks off today and it continues tomorrow. Julia Borston out there, also Phil And I don't think they're just out there working. (laughs) All right. As we have to break, got a bit of a market flash on shares of Dell. The Nikkei reports the PC maker aims to stop using chips made in China by next year. Dell has told suppliers to significantly reduce the amount of other made-in-China parts in its products as it diversifies its supply chain amid tensions between the U.S. and China. Right now, shares of Dell down fractionally. Worldwide Exchange will be right back. 
All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. Western Digital and Kioxia are reviving talks of a merger that could unite the two storage providers into one publicly traded company, according to Bloomberg. Western Digital shares are jumping on that report, up about 6.5%. Data from 235 million Twitter users has reportedly been leaked and posted onto online forums for hackers. Also, Walgreens and CVS are planning to start offering abortion pills following the FDA's announcement Tuesday that it will allow retail pharmacies to do so. Apple is expected to sign its first big order of iPhones with Chinese manufacturer Luxshare Precision. According to the Financial Times, Luxshare is a competitor to longtime Apple supplier Foxconn. Shares moving on that report. Former FTX lawyer Daniel Friedberg reportedly gave details about the crypto firm's collapse in a November meeting with two dozen investigators, according to email exchanges seen by Reuters. And China confirming it will uh, reopen its Hong Kong border on Sunday after being closed for three years as part of Beijing's zero COVID policy. A 48-hour negative PCR test will be required pre-departure, but testing upon arrival on the main line on the mainland will now be scrapped. All right, markets looking to reverse yesterday's gains ahead of that fresh economic data and Fed speak. Futures right now, they're basically flat. We've been watching them all day, not a lot of movement. Joining me now is Bill Stone, chief investment officer at the Glenview Trust Company. Always great to have you, Bill. Thank you. So just basically, what are you seeing in the markets in this you know, very beginning of 2023? We've seen a lot of volatility. Um, yesterday's stocks moved lower on those Fed minutes. What do you see coming in the day ahead? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, even though we turned the calendar, the really the theme, I guess, problems or challenges remain, which is how much is the Fed going to have to tighten in order to get inflation to continue to uh, get under control. And I think that's why you saw the market sell off with the Fed minutes, because they clearly talked about uh, financial conditions. They were worried that fin- financial conditions would ease too much uh, in advance of inflation getting under control. And I think that's why, you know, you probably see the market, you know, in a bit of a wait and see mode today as we wait for the payrolls tomorrow. You know, we're in a place where, you know, you've talked about the the at least the high-profile layoffs, but frankly, the labor market has c- continued to be, you know, very robust. So Friday will be a big day in terms of payrolls. You know, it sounds bad, but, you know, certainly the markets on the margin will be happy with a softer payrolls number because it probably means the Fed doesn't need to continue to hike quite as hard in order to uh, continue to get inflation down. So, Bill, did we see a bit of a Santa Claus rally? I mean, I know one day doesn't make a trend, but what are you kind of forecasting for today? I kind of I already asked you this, but just is that the start of something or do you believe that just might be a blip in what's been a really volatile time? Well, you're right. So we officially did have a Santa Claus rally this year, but it took yesterday to to uh, to get it, really. Um, I don't read too much into, you know, whether that'll carry over. I actually am optimistic here for this year just because I think eventually we'll get through a recession at some point, and we know the market tends to move in advance of even the recession ending. Um, you also rarely have two down years in a row. Now, whether it starts you know, yesterday, I, I don't know. In fact, I doubt it because I, I, I suspect that we're, you know, even though you should be looking to buy while the economic data is getting worse, the fact is, human uh, reaction is typically to try and run the other way. So I think it gets a little uh, messy in the here in the, the beginning of the year. All right, Bill Stone, we got to leave it there right now. Looking at futures moving slightly higher right now. Bill, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. All right. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Before we go, I want to say happy anniversary to Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. 
Yo to the Noobs, Squawk Box with Joe Beck and Andrew coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.